This morning we continue our Lenten sermon series, The Me I Want to Be, whose name is taken from the title of a book that many of our covenant groups are experiencing together this Lent. Lent is a season to tell the truth of who we are, to be truthful in our own lives, to do some honest work before God. It is a season or a time of self-examination, of repentance and renewal. God is in the process of transformation. What are the things God wants to change in you? What are the places in your life where you know you need to repent? You need to turn in a whole new direction and to turn in a new way. And friends, what are the places in your life where you need to be able to celebrate and embrace who you are created to be? The parts of you that when God looks at you, he says, that is exactly what I intended. That is why I created that one the way I did because you are God's workmanship, a never ever to be repeated work of art, God's poem as we learn in Ephesians 2, for God's purposes. One of my favorite stories ever is The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. It is the first of three volumes of the epic novel, The Lord of the Rings, by author J.R.R. Tolkien. Hobbit Frodo Baggins, he is commissioned to destroy a gold ring. He's got to do that in order to save fictional Middle Earth. Early on, you are introduced to a fellowship. There will be nine walkers who will engage in this common mission together, and they're gonna work hard together in order to destroy the ring and to defeat evil. Frodo Baggins and Sam Gangee, hairy little hobbits. They are the unlikely heroes of this grand adventure that requires them to leave their very comfortable hobbit life. The work they are called to do will be exhausting, overwhelmingly difficult, and it will demand that they give everything they have to give. There's a key piece of dialogue between mentor Gandalf and Hobbit Frodo at their beginning, at the very beginning of their journey. Let's watch this together now. There's something down there. It's Gollum. Gollum? He's been following us for three days. He escaped the dungeons of Barad-dûr. Escaped. Always set loose. And now the ring has drawn him here. He will never be rid of his need for it. He hates and loves the ring. As he hates and loves himself. Smeagol's life is a sad story. Yes, Smeagol, he was once called. Before the ring found him. Before it drove him mad. It's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance. Pity? It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that lived deserved death, and some that died deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. 
even the very wise can see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play yet, for good or ill. Before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring. In which case, you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. Frodo laments his lot in life, it seems, too hard. And that there's too much evil at work. But Gandalf reminds him of two critical things. First, even though Frodo did not choose the time that he lives in, as none of us do, it's up to him to exercise personal responsibility to redeem the time he has, to redeem the influence that he has. And secondly, that there is another force at work besides evil. God chose the time and the place that we live in. This is our time, this is your time. It is a scary time. Or as the Apostle Paul will say in today's scripture reading, it's, it's evil but also exciting, unchartered, full of potential, and yes, redeemable. Our text today is from the book of Ephesians, a letter that provides some of the clearest instruction in the New Testament for the church. It is written with the intent of teaching, strengthening, and encouraging, reminding the church of her identity and of the blessings that she has because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read together this morning's scripture. Be careful then how you live not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Or as the contemporary translation of the Bible, the message reads, watch your step, use your head, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly, make sure you understand what the master wants. Let's pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We can't turn the lights back up, can we? Oh, can we? Oh, good. I was going to say, I, I knew you were out there, but I couldn't see you. <laughs> On this Daylight Savings Time Day, let's consider for a few minutes together time. Let's think with me on this. Where has the time gone, we wonder? When we consider how kids are growing and changing dramatically, or when we realize the number of years it now has been since our high school graduation. 
The late, great football coach Vince Lombardi remarked, I never lost a game, I just ran out of time. (laughs) There is a limit to our days, which reminds us that time is precious. The psalmist implores, Psalm 90, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This kind of numbering has very little to do with counting and more to do with considering what life is all about, what really matters, and how am I doing with God and with others. Maybe you have more time than you know what to do with in the season of life you now find yourself in. Maybe time is not going fast enough for you because you are really ready for a vacation. Maybe time seems to be standing still as you await news about a college acceptance or as you eagerly await seeing someone you love and miss. Or maybe you are just considering more generally and broadly if you are spending your time in a meaningful way. Author and Anglican priest Tish Warren has wonderful musings on time in a chapter titled Sitting in Traffic in her book Liturgy of the Ordinary, which several of us read together last year. As she considers people who honk when stuck in traffic, adding only noise, not movement, Warren writes, I am impatient. I live in an instant world where I like to think I am the captain of the clock. I live with the illusion that time, my time at least, is something I can control. I am not a farmer. I don't have to wait for harvest or for the weather to change. I'm not a midwife. I don't have to wait for babies to come. When my computer moves too slowly, seconds really, I murmur, this is taking forever. Of course, if I knew how long I have left to live, if the length of my remaining days or those of someone close to me could be counted in weeks, I'd understand that time is not in my control. But in my life, time is most often something I seek to manage or something I resent. Something, it seems, that I never have enough of. In my frenetic life, I forget how to slow down and wait. The Lilliputians in Gulliver's travels think that because Gulliver keeps checking his clock, It must be his God. It was Swift's clever commentary on his era's worship of time, hurry, and efficiency, which sure applies also to us today. By the Lilliputians' logic, our God must be our smartphone. The reality is we do not control time. Every day we wait. We wait for help, for healing, for days to come, for rescue and redemption. Time is a stream we are swept in. Time is a gift from God. It is not a commodity that we control, manage, or consume. It does not revolve around us. Time revolves around God, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. And time is the great leveler. 
It is the one resource that is allocated in absolute equal terms. Crazy busy people are not given a special bonus of a few additional hours every day. The clock plays no favorites. When, where we differ from one another is how we redeem the time. When something is redeemed, it is purchased or rescued from some negative condition. The verb redeem is drawn from the commercial vocabulary of the marketplace. It denotes an intensive activity, a buying which exhausts all possibilities that are available. It refers here in part to the stewardship of time as God's priceless commodity. Believers will act wisely by snapping up every opportunity that comes. They will buy up every opportunity to do good. Verse 16, with its concern for redeeming the time, it reflects an urgency about time. It's important and crucial for us to embrace and to be reminded of again and again and again that time is not to be frittered away or spent foolishly. Both a theology of life and a theology of time undergird these brief exhortations. Further explained, the people of God are admonished not to be foolish but to understand what the will of the Lord is. In our contemporary culture, the Lord's will is frequently understood by Christians to refer to matters of personal guidance, like who should I marry or what job should I take, and thus to God's immediate plans for my future. But the divine will in the Apostle Paul's letters, especially in the book of Ephesians, it has more to do with God's big sweeping saving plan, and a significant element of this is the formation of a people. A formation of a people for God's purposes. Literally, the text says, watch carefully how you walk. Watch carefully how you live. It's all about watchfulness and paying attention, including paying close attention to our time. Our time is an essential part of figuring out the me I want to be. How we use our time is an essential component of how we live differently. Just as with renewing our minds, a key way we redeem the time is by building better habits. Habits shape us. They determine how we will spend our time and what we will desire. This helps us to say no to certain things in order to say yes to better things. Here is one way this is playing out currently in my life. For years, many years, my family, especially the men in my family, they have been begging me to get a larger TV. (laughs) Teasing me that binoculars have been necessary to see anything that is showing at all on the TV. I have liked my smallish TV, especially because it fits perfectly in the built-in bookshelf that has been in my family room wall, so their cries have gone unanswered for years. However, last summer when I moved, my, my new family room wall beckoned for a larger TV. While my family is now at peace, (laughs) the outcome for me 
is that I have been watching so much more TV. It's amazing what I can now see when I watch the television and habits are beginning to form. When you create a habit of watching two hours of late night TV each night in order to unwind, you are forming yourself in many ways. You are forming a desire and a dependence on TV. You are conditioning yourself and determining where you will find your nightly rest and joy. The invitation of Lent is to slow down and to look at our life and to look at our habits. Lent invites us to build better habits which benefits every area of our lives. The nightly habit I am trying to build is to read a bit more and maybe even to go to bed a little earlier. Are we spending our time on things that really matter? We must be prepared to give some things up if we intend to take on things that are even better. One of the most wonderful things we can say yes to is the habit of prayer. Prayer plays a vital role in the flourishing of persons. It is key to redeeming the time. The highest goal of prayer is communion or fellowship with God. Theologian Karl Barth says, to be Christian and to pray are one and the same thing. It is a need, a kind of breathing necessary to life. Prayer communicates so many important things. Prayer communicates heart. It is not about technique or a formula or some sort of knowledge or theory, but rather prayer is a language of relationship. It is a language of the heart. It is language used between friends. Prayer communicates dependence. When you pray for another, prayer communicates that a person is important to you and that you care. How can I pray for you is a wonderful question to ask another, but the important thing is for us to take care to actually do it soon maybe even right then on the spot. If we truly love people, we will desire for them more than is within our power to give to them, and that will drive us to prayer. You pray more than you know. Anne Lamott whittles down the life of prayer to three words, help, thanks, wow. Ortberg suggests that the goal of prayer is not to get good at praying, but rather the goal of prayer is to live all of my life and speak all of my words in the joyful awareness of the presence of God. To live all of my life and speak all of my words in the joyful awareness of the presence of God. Pastorally, I have witnessed over and over again the impact of prayer. It changes us. I've literally seen the countenances of numerous people change when being prayed for. Relationships have mended. Peace that makes no sense arrives. Clarity about a decision comes. Strength to be able to do something incredibly difficult is given. In prayer, we begin to desire the things God desires to love the things God loves. In the me I want to be, 
Ortberg notes, along with your spirit and mine, when you flourish, your time begins to be transformed as well. You have confidence that whatever life throws at you, it will not overthrow you. When the day dawns, you awake with a sense of expectancy. You have a vibrant sense that things matter. You begin to receive every moment as God-given gift. Friends, you have been given life. God breathed, God ordained life. It is not an accident that you are alive now. That is an amazing thing. It's amazing. God's will is for you to be alive now for his purposes. The journey will be difficult, you bet. And it will demand everything that you have to give. However, this is our allotted time. What we decide is what we do with the time that is given to us. I wonder this good spring break week, is it possible to slow down a bit? To carve out some time to nurture our relationship with God and to examine your relationship with time. It is important to consider because you were meant to flourish. You are created for life, abundant life, and to have it to the full, and that is an encouraging thing. Let's give thanks to God together. Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you give us the grace that we need to examine our lives, to repent, to turn in a new direction in the places where we need to do that. We pray too to recognize the value and the work, the worth, our value and worth as your unique creation. God, transform us and shape us and mold us into the people that you long for us to be. Give us a heart of wisdom for the living of these days. We pray with gratitude for life itself and for the Lord Jesus Christ as we make this prayer for one another together. This we pray. Amen.